want to take a moment this morning to just emphasize how well our music team does. Aren't you thankful for them? All the vocalists and musicians are not done yet. They come back up after this talk, and so they're going to make their way back on up here, and they do a wonderful job, and so we appreciate them. Have you ever missed the point? If, you, if you're out there and you say, I've never missed the point, then you've really missed the point. <laughs> but have you ever missed the point? I, I think I need to have some confession time this morning. Church is a good place to confess our sins, right? You guys aren't going to look down on me? <sighs> this is going to not go good. Uh, I think I missed the point of college. When I was at college, I, I think it's supposed to be about the education. <laughs> I think I missed the point. <laughs> I was, uh, it, was a couple, it was a couple months ago, and it, all of a sudden, and I don't know why this happens, partly because I can't turn, turn my mind off. I just start thinking about things. I thought about a professor I had named Dr. Bates. Hadn't thought about him for years. Just one of the professors I had. And it, it was a professor that uh, he showed a little bit of interest in me. We'd have a big class, 300 kids in there, but he'd, he'd go up to me before class and try to start a conversation. And, and he just popped in my head, Dr. Bates. I thought, I wonder how Dr. Bates is doing. And there was once a time when that was the end of the story, before the internet, you just thought of somebody and you just thought, I wonder how they're doing. But now you have your smartphone and you can track somebody, you know, their social security, their garage code number, all those things. <laughs> and their address, phone number, all that. And I thought, man, I'm going to get a hold of Dr. Bates, shoot him a surprise email. Hey, just wanting to connect with you and touch base, wondering how you're doing. A couple things came to mind when I was sitting there thinking about Dr. Bates. I remember he would assign a 10-page report every week. Anybody feel bad for me yet? A 10-page report due every Friday. It's as if we had no other classes. You, you ever have a teacher like that? They just thought you had no other classes and no life and nothing else to do. Uh, but a 10-page report every Friday. And I began to think, you know what? He's having to read all these 10-page reports every week. I bet he's not reading all of them. And whenever I got my papers back, the only markings, the only, and I know it surprised you that I would have red markings, but the only markings that was, that was on my papers was the first page and the last page, page one and page 10. And it be, I'm not as slow as you may think I am. And I began to realize he's just reading the first page and the last page. And so uh, because of a dare, a very uh, spiritual dare by one of my friends, he said, I dare you to write in the middle, page five, six, or seven, somewhere in there, just in the middle of a paragraph, Dr. Bates, are you really reading this? And so I did it, and I got the page back, and I was nervous, but I got the paper back the next week, and there was no markings on page six where I put, Dr. Bates, are you really reading this? And my class thought I was so cool, and, and it, I was cool for the first time ever, and it got me nowhere in life. But I, I thought of that story, which I don't know why I just shared that with you, but another, another time popped in my head. I missed a lot of class uh, because of baseball in the spring, and I missed his class constantly one spring. So one of the tests I had to take at a different time and he put me in some side room just by myself, and I had to take the test at a time that I could. And I, I didn't read. I didn't prepare. I didn't know what was going on in the class at all. And this is where the confession comes. And, of course, it was a closed book test. It's college. There's no, it's not a test if it's open book, by the way. And I walked in with my backpack, and my book was in there, and I was the only person in the room. He wasn't in there. And my back was to the door. So if that was the door, I was to the back uh, doing the test right there. And I pulled my book out, and I put it open on my lap to do the test. Hey, raise your hand if you cheated one time in school ever. Just raise your hand. 
See, this is just a bunch of sinners, this church right here. Aren't you glad to be around a bunch of heathens? And you look at me and you shake your head and look at you. Good night in the morning, hypocrites. Um, but I remember I thought, man, if, if he, I'm, I'm not proud of this, and I don't know why I felt like I needed to share it. I've, I don't, have I ever told you that story? Yes? Okay. Anyway, so apparently I have confessed it. I feel bad. But I thought, not that bad, because I, I would do it again if I had to. But, <clears throat> hey, whatever. You would do it too. I needed to get my degree. Uh, baseball was my major. But I thought when he walks in, I'll hear the door open. I'll hear his footsteps. I'll have time to close the book, drop the book. It will be no big deal. But all of a sudden, toward the end of the test, apparently I missed all that. I didn't hear the door. And all of a sudden, I just feel a hand on my shoulder looking over me and Dr. Bates' voice How's it going, Nathan? And I froze. <laughs> good. <laughs> it's going good. And he didn't say a word. He just smiled and walked out. I love Dr. Bates. He's a good man. And <laughs> but when I look, all that to tell you, this is don't, there's a bunch of students in here. Are you guys surprised that your preacher cheated? I used to like you guys, and now I really don't. Um, where was I? Oh, yeah. Dr. Bates, I look him up, and I find out about five years ago he passed away. And I, yeah, thank you. And I thought there's some complications. Some, I mean, it shouldn't have happened. He was too young for that. And I mean, it, I don't know, doctor, but it took me back. Have you ever been there? And all of a sudden, a death experience or near-death experience or a possible death experience it all of a sudden jars you and reminds you what's the point of life. Do you know what I'm talking about? Nothing else that day, the kids whining, not that they would ever whine, but the kids whining, misbehaving, all those things all of a sudden didn't matter the rest of that day. I was just kind of in, what, Dr. Bates? I can't even. It all of a sudden, death, life and death puts everything back into perspective and what's important. Here's why I tell you that. We don't want to come here and miss the point of what we're doing here. Amen. We don't want to miss the point of this. Why did God give us this book? Why did he come uh, from heaven and put on skin? Why did he give us the church? Why did he do all of this? There is a point to all of this, and the point is so that we can have a relationship with him, so that we can come back home. The original home that he created was perfect. Uh, creation lived in perfect harmony with man. Man lived in perfect harmony with God. God walked with man. He talked with man in the garden. And once Adam and Eve sinned, all that was destroyed. And the whole point from that day forward, the point of this, the point of this, the point of Jesus, the point of the cross, the point of the empty grave, is so that we can go back home in perfect harmony with the heavenly Father. That's the point of life. And if we miss that, we miss the point. The point of this book is not financial suggestions, though there's some financial suggestions in there. The point of this book is not how to be successful or have your best life now. That's not the point. And the point of this is not, it's, it's not a marriage counseling book, though I've seen it turned into that. It is remarkable how little is talked about marriage in this book. It is remarkable how many bad examples of marriage are in this book. The point of this is to bring us back into relationship with God Almighty. The point of our song service is to point us back to Jesus. The point of communion is to bring us back to Jesus. And the point of every gospel sermon should be to bring us back to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. 
We'll catch that someday. We'll stand before the Father and realize that was the point. That was why a church was started. That's why people stop whatever they're doing in life and go and start a church. That's why somebody invited me. That's why somebody cried with me. That's why somebody prayed with me. That's why somebody had me over for dinner. He was the point. How many of you know we're not the point? (laughs) Bringing all the glory to God is the point. And I don't know if there's a passage in the Bible that points us to the point more than Luke chapter 16. I think the Holy Spirit put this in here just to remind us of what the point is. It's not going to be on the screen. Just listen to what the Holy Spirit says through Jesus. Jesus tells this story. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us is a great chasm that has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. Catch this. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let him listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent, he said. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone raised from the dead. Now, the point of the story, which is missed a lot, there's a rich man, there's a poor man. The rich man goes to hell. The poor man goes to heaven. The point of the story is not that it's wrong to be rich at all. Some of God's greatest heroes were rich, and it's not right to be poor. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is one man got the point in life, and the other didn't. And when life on earth was done, the light bulb moment came off. Oh, yeah, that wasn't the point. And he's begging Lazarus, go to my family and tell them about Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. About five years ago, maybe four years ago, having lunch with a missionary. He's been a missionary for a while, him and his family, in a hostile part of the world now. He was talking about their work, and he was talking about the church he grew up in, which was the church that I was ministering at at the time. And he said, man, Nathan, our church has always been evangelistic. It's always been about evangelism. But I just want to tell you, I grew up in this church for 18 years, and not once did anybody teach me how to lead somebody to Christ. And I thought, man. Now, first of all, I thought he was wrong, and I still think he's wrong. (laughs) I think there's plenty of opportunity to learn that. But it did catch me off guard. We can talk about evangelism week after week. We can talk about sharing our faith week after week. But at the end of the day, we need to know actually how to lead somebody to Christ. Amen? Amen. So that's what we have today, the final week of Compelled. I'm going to give you some different methods on how to share your faith and lead somebody to the cross of Christ. If somebody was to ask you, how do I become a Christian? I want you to know how to answer that question. The first one. First method is the most uninvasive method, and it's simply the come and see method. It's the come and see method. Everybody say, come and see. Come and see. see. It's another way, just invite 
somebody to church. Hey, if you don't have a church this Sunday, you're welcome to come with me. Do you invite people to church very often? Maybe you've heard the story of Billy Graham. He was in North Carolina decades ago in one of his crusades, and the the, the church service was that evening. It's kind of a small town in North Carolina, medium-sized town. The church service was that evening, but that morning he was just kind of walking around town. He was looking for the post office, wanted to send some mail. He saw a little kid on his bike, and he said, son, do you know where the post office is? And the son or, or, or the young boy kind of pointed him down a couple blocks and by the red light, and there's the post office. And then Billy Graham invited him to church that night. He said, son, thank you for telling me where the post office is. I'd like to invite you to church tonight, and I can tell you how to get to heaven. And the boy said, no, thank you. You can't tell me how to get to heaven. You don't even know the way the post office. <laughs> well, a great addition when you invite somebody to church is to have uh, an invite card. We're making some invite cards right now for the Durier Elementary School location because now our kids are kids. Invite cards don't exactly work. That would be a great addition. Have those in your pockets. Have those in your wallets, your purses, whatever it may be. Inviting people to church is actually biblical. Luke chapter 14, Jesus says, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, after the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. And how many of you know we'll always make room for more? That's why we're moving. We're running out of room. There is always more room in the kingdom of God. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and compel. I've heard of a sermon series called Compelled one time. Anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. You might be shocked at this statistic but 82% of people who don't go to church would go to church if they were invited. 82% of people who don't go would go if somebody would give them an invitation. That means there's 110 million people in our nation who would be in church this morning if somebody had invited them. Just for a reminder, and you might need to think back of this, it is scary to go to church if you don't go to church. Now, for those who come every week and it's just, you just kind of come in and there's no anxiety, there's no nervousness, but, but just remember, if you don't go to church, it is scary to go to church. So I, I want to give you some, some tips on how to help that whenever you invite. Number one, a way to help that is you be there when you invite somebody. <laughs> and you think, why would you need to put that in there? Because I've seen it happen. This is the worst thing that could ever happen. You invite somebody to church, and the one that invited them, they're not there. There's a hundred reasons I can give you today why you ought to be in church each Sunday, but that is one of the biggest. When you invite somebody and you're not there, it paints a picture of what's really important to you. Number two, offer to pick them up or offer to lead them. If there's not room in your vehicle, offer you can follow us so that you can find your way there. Number three, when you're in the parking lot, walk in with them. The nervousness and anxiety starts out there. And if you walk them in, now they're not walking in alone. Number four, help them with check-in if they have kids. Well, before we started, or, or, or before we started meeting on Sundays, we were here for four or five months before we started, uh, four months. So we went to different churches. The worst part of every Sunday was check-in. Remember that? And it would take us 30 minutes sometimes. We were, we were getting to churches at 40 minutes early just to be able to handle the check-in. But the best places were places that helped us with that. Oh, okay, just help people with check-in. Number five, sit with them. 
Don't invite someone to church and you sit over there. I'm not pointing at Kate. Good job during the song day. Don't sit over there and then they sit over there. That's hashtag awkward. I'm modern and cool. All right. Number six, seriously, offer lunch afterwards. Offer to have them over for dinner or lunch or offer to take them out. It's already scary. Lessen the nerves. Increase the opportunity that they will come. Church, we have no, ways to, no way to put into numbers. Someday we will. We have no way to put into numbers how many lives have been changed that started with an invitation to church where the gospel was preached, the seeds were planted, eventually a decision was made, families' lives were changed, eternity was had, all starting with an invitation to church. Come and see. Number two, you may be farther along in your conversation with them, and you have the opportunity to tell them what Jesus has done for you. Has God been good to you? Raise your hand. Has God been good to you? Then tell people. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And if God's been good to you, say so. And if Jesus has forgiven your sins, say so. And if he died on the cross for you, say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, Jeremiah said, but if I say I'll never mention the Lord, if, if somebody told me to be quiet about the Lord or speak in his name, his word burns in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones. I am worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. If God has been good to you, that would be your response as well. Nathan, I don't know, inviting neighbors over, grilling out, starting a conversation about Jesus. I'm, I'm worried they're going to start to feel like I have an agenda. Have you ever thought that? Like, is there an agenda here? Are you trying to get me into church? Yes. There is an agenda. You need to get over the fact that there's an agenda. I have an agenda. This church has an agenda. Jesus had an agenda. What was his agenda? To seek and to save that which was lost. And because I've had you over for dinner and because we've developed a relationship, I start to care for you. I begin to love you in a way that's just beyond I love my neighbor. I actually love you and I know you. The most loving thing I can do for you is to invite you to church and tell you about Jesus. That is proof of my love for you. That is proof that I care for you. And because of what Jesus has done in my life, I want him to do the same in your life. So get over the fact that there's an agenda. The agenda is love, and the agenda is heaven. And some people that are going to push back against the church, they're going to use that as an excuse, but most people are going to appreciate that you love them enough to tell them, to have the boldness and the guts to tell them how to get to heaven. Secondly, there's a man in the Bible by the name of Andrew. You've probably heard of Andrew. He's not a prominent figure in the Bible. He's not a Peter. He's not a Paul. He's not a John. He's only mentioned 12 times in the New Testament. Four of the times he's, he's just mentioned in a list of the disciples, so it's not, even, it's not even worth mentioning. But the other eight times Andrew is mentioned, he's almost always sharing his faith with somebody. Look at this story in John chapter 1. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. 
It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard John, who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, "We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ," and he brought him to Jesus. You know who the first disciple was to figure out that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the one that they've been looking for? It was not Peter and Matthew chapter 16. It was Andrew. He was the first disciple to figure it out. And the first thing Andrew did was tell his brother, I found him. And he brought him to Jesus. Here's the truth. Everyone is introduced to Christ by someone. Everyone has a someone. You do. I do. Aren't you grateful for your someone or someones? You do, I do, and everybody in the Bible does. There's 10 conversion accounts in the book of Acts. All 10 of them had a someone. Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian, reading his Bible by himself, he had Philip explain it. Acts chapter 2, 3,000, the first gathering, they had Peter. Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, he had a vision from heaven, but God still sent him Peter to give him the message. The jailer, he had an earthquake, but he still had Paul and Silas explain the gospel to him. Even Saul, who met Jesus on the road to, uh, to Damascus, he was introduced to Jesus by Jesus. That's a great story, by the way. Who introduced you to Jesus? Jesus. Well, that's good. That's good. But even Jesus told Ananias, go to Saul, go find Saul, and explain to him the purpose of baptism. Everyone has a someone, and you can be that someone. And number three, if you ever get the opportunity to share God's plan of salvation, let me teach you what I had once been taught and what he had once been taught God's plan of salvation, how God teaches in the New Testament how you accept by faith what God has done for you. There's another way to say this. When somebody asks, how can I be saved? You just tell them how you got saved. But there's a problem. A lot of people don't know how they got saved. And may I suggest, friends, if you don't know how you got saved, you're probably not saved. Everyone in the New Testament knew how they got saved. They all got saved the same way, and they knew it so they could share it. How can you share something you don't even know how it happened? I've talked to people, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. When did that happen? I don't know. Sometime, somewhere. I'm sure it happened. You don't know how? Everyone in the New Testament got saved the same way. So in the next few minutes, I'm going to tell you how that happened. I'm going to walk through some New Testament passages of salvation, but we have two options. I'm going to throw up a bunch of verses up here, okay? We have two options. We can take a few of them and say, that's how God wants us to be saved, and ignore all the others, or we can take them all and obey all of them. Which one do you want to do? All. It's not right. We want to do all of them, and so that's how we're going to teach it. That's how we're going to preach it. Uh, there's a newfangled way, and, and uh, that modern churches are teaching. It's called the sinner's prayer. Just so you know, the sinner's prayer is never found in the New Testament. Did you know that? Hate to tell you that. That was invented about 130 years ago. It's not there. You can check it out. You can try to show it to me. It's not there. 1 John 1.9 is the verse that they use, but 1 John 1.9 was, was written to Christians, not non-Christians. 
There's no sinner's prayer that was never part of the plan. And so in the book of Acts, there are 10 accounts of people becoming Christians. None of them said a sinner's prayer. But I am going to tell you what God commanded them to do. And we're not going to pick and choose. We're going to follow all of them. And it all comes from faith. We are saved by grace through faith. Amen? It all comes from faith. So here's the first step. You must first hear the gospel. You must first hear the gospel. That's why it's so important we tell. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Now, some may need to hear it 10 times. Some may need to hear it 100 times. Some may need to hear it 1,000 times. Maybe somebody needs to hear it one time only before they accept the good news of Christ. But people need to hear. Number two, the second step is you must believe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, anybody know, whosoever believes shall not perish but have everlasting life. John chapter 20 says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Acts chapter 10 says, all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Just so you know, that's not an academic belief, the word in the Greek there. It's not an intellectual belief because even the demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And are they saved? It is a belief that goes into action. It is a belief that is in your heart. It is a belief that moves you to the next step. And the next step is a word called repent, repentance. Luke chapter 13 says, and this is the words of Jesus, unless you repent, you too will all perish. Acts 17 says, now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Repentance is another word for surrender. It's another word for turning your life around and following Jesus. It's not making Jesus number one. It's making him the only one. He is not one of the priorities in your life. He is the only priority in your life. You become submitted to him, to his lordship, to his kingship, to his direction in your life. My friends, there's a big line in the sand that is drawn usually. Many people believe, few surrender. Many believe academically, few repent. Many claim, but few follow. And this is where the line is usually drawn. Here, believe, believe into repentance, and then confess. Number four, confess is not confess your sins. Confess is to proclaim with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, to publicly proclaim that you believe in him. Matthew chapter 10 is where this is commanded. Whoever confesses me before men... Him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Romans chapter 10 says, For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he what? He confesses, resulting in salvation. Another translation of Romans 10 verse 10 says, For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. How do you confess with your mouth? Probably your baptism is your confession. But biblically, just so we guarantee that we have followed this command of Christ, whenever we have a baptism, we first ask the person, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? And they verbalize with their mouth, yes. And then I have them repeat after me, I believe, and they say, I believe, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you have given your verbal public profession, your confession of Christ. And that leads us to baptism. 
when Jesus ascended into heaven, Peter preached the first gospel sermon. The crowd asked him, what must I do to be saved? Do you think Peter's answer is important? It's the only spot where somebody says, what must I do to be saved? Here's what Peter says. Peter replied, repent and be baptized. How many of you? Every one of you. In the name of Jesus, and you will receive two things. What do you get? The forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Can you go to heaven without your sins forgiven? Cannot. Can you go to heaven without the gift of the Holy Spirit? Scripture teaches us in the New Testament you cannot. When do you get that? At the point of repentance and baptism. Acts 22, verse 16, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. How do you call on his name, Nathan? By getting up and being baptized. Mark 16, 16, Jesus says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Would you read that out loud with me? Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. It doesn't say whoever believes and is saved should someday get baptized. And it doesn't say whoever is baptized should later believe and will be saved. You see how we've messed up the order? Whoever believes and is baptized will then be saved. Words of Jesus. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, don't you know, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. When you stand in that water, you are standing there a dead man like Jesus was dead on the cross. And in the same way that Jesus was buried in a tomb, you are buried in a watery grave. And just as Jesus came up out of that water and had a brand new life, when you come up out of that water, you are raised and have a brand new life in Jesus. When do you identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? Whenever you are baptized into Christ. And you raise up out of that water with a brand new life, and we all say, praise the Lord. And we got to witness that this last Thursday. We had one of ours in this room here this morning, who made that culminating act, who obeyed the gospel of Jesus. And here's what happened at about 5.15 this last Thursday afternoon. Take a look. So I'm going to ask you, Whitney, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Yes. I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. I believe. I believe. That Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the living God. The Son of the living God. Amen. Let's take a few steps forward so we have room behind you. All right. You hold your nose. All righty. And the angel rejoices, the church rejoices, and Whitney doesn't have to wonder. She doesn't have to go to bed at night. I wonder if I've done everything that God has asked me to do. And you may have a lot of questions about baptism, but here's one question you shouldn't have. Did God command it? Yes. Have I surrendered my will to his will? If that's a yes, you will get baptized. And you'll never have to walk out of here with a burden on your shoulders. I wonder where I'm going when life on earth is done. That's how you share the gospel. Now, here's a chart that I have written for myself. I used it. It was actually the chart that was, it, it's five steps of how to be saved. Now, the New Testament teaches salvation. It's what was walked through me back in December of 1990. And it is a chart that I put on the front cover of my Bible as a cheat chart in my earlier years of ministry when I couldn't remember and I got nervous. I don't need it anymore, but I needed it for quite a few years. And these are the steps of salvation. 
This is what God has called us to do. And maybe that, that chart can be helpful to you, but I carried it with me every, everywhere I went in my early years because I didn't want to get placed in a position where somebody asked me, how do I become a Christian, and I not know the answer to that. And here's, here's what happens. I've heard of a group of men having an argument because that's what men do. We argue. And one man said, I'm an Ephesians 2 Christian. <laughs> For by grace we are saved through faith. Another guy goes, I'm an Acts 2.38 Christian. Repent and be baptized. Another guy goes, I'm a John 3.16 Christian. For God so loved the world, whoever believes. I'm a Romans 10 Christian, whoever confesses with their mouth. And they argued about what kind of Christian we are. And I just want you to know what we are. We're all of them. And so you have an option. You know, I, I'm a Romans 10. What you're going to find is some verses, Romans 10, or, or for example, Acts 2.38 doesn't even mention belief. Well, do you think it's necessary to believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Of course it is. But Acts 2.38 doesn't say so. And there's other passages that doesn't say anything about baptism. There's other passages that says nothing about confessing with your mouth. There's other passages that say nothing about repentance. But when you put it all together, we want to be obedient to what God has asked us to do and not pick and choose and then ignore all the others. This is a picture I want to introduce you to, LaShonda Calloway from Wichita, Kansas. About five years ago, she walked into a Wichita gas station, and there was a fight going on with knives. I don't think she knew what was going on, but she somehow ended up in the middle of it accidentally, and she got stabbed in the stomach. She went down, but she picked herself up three times and then collapsed all three times trying to get the help right there by the front counter. Video footage of the gas station shows five different people seeing her and walking around her or stepping over her and walking on out. One young man pulled his cell phone out of his pocket, took a picture, and left. LaShonda Calloway died that night at the age of 27 because people were so busy with their lives, they had forgotten the value of human life. The Wichita police, when they saw the footage, they were appalled. And as much as that strikes your heart, there is something worse. Every day we walk by people who are spiritually bleeding. And they are on their way to an eternal death where the man in Luke chapter 16 lived in torment all the days of his life. And we can get so busy that we walk around them because I'm on my way to work. Or we walk around them, get out of my way because I'm at the grocery store. And we don't reach out a helping hand. Just remember, everyone has a someone. And all I'm asking you to do is to do what someone did for you. You do it for someone else. The book of Acts, as we close, is the story of the first church. It's the story of the Holy Spirit working through the first century church. We see 10 conversion accounts in the book of Acts. We see Paul and Silas and Barnabas and Peter and different people, Stephen, proclaiming the gospel, sharing with boldness without hindrance what Jesus has asked us to do to be saved. Have you ever noticed what the last verse in the book of Acts says? It's a very weird way to close a book. You don't close a book this way. It's so open-ended. Acts chapter 28, last verse. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And my prayer is that that would be said of us. Let's pray. Father, may we be 
the same kind of followers of Jesus that that book of Acts teaches us they were. Father, we want to be people who care, and so we share. And we've, we've grabbed three methods this morning. We can invite. We can tell people what Jesus has done for us. And I'm praying that we have opportunities to answer the question, how do I become a Christian? And that we would be armed and ready. We would be prepared and equipped to give the biblical answer of what God has done and what he has commanded us to do. Father, I pray if there's anybody in this room this morning who needs to make that decision for Jesus, that they would have the courage to say yes. It's in his name we pray, amen. There may be somebody here today, as I'm telling you how to share your faith with others, you realized I haven't done one of those. And maybe this is your day where you're obedient. Maybe this is the day that you cross your line and you walk out of here with the assurance of heaven forever. My prayer this morning as I got up was that somebody in here, if they haven't, that they would say yes. Is that your prayer as well? Is that what you desire? To spend eternity with heaven? We don't want to walk out of here. We don't want to start a church and just talk about what we can do for others. We also want to be obedient ourselves to what God has commanded us to do. Let's stand. You make that decision if you need to make it.